Hey everybody, welcome to the Blizzard Watch Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Rossi, and with me this week is my fantastic co-host, Ann Stickney, who lives in a cauldron-infested, nightmare-blasted heath of a land, apparently. Apparently. It was just one this. cauldron. It's okay, guys. Uh, lots of cauldrons. Dark cauldrons, too. Actually, the Black Cauldron is one of my favorite. Uh, anyway, getting on with Blizzard and so forth before I get sidetracked into complete minutiae. Uh, what have you been doing this weekend? Anything interesting? Nothing really. I'm still working on the whole rep grind for flying because that's a thing that needs to happen and it's still not happening because I keep getting distracted with like other stuff. Um, other than that, not really a whole heck of a lot going on gameplay-wise. I'm still waiting for like the next chapter of Life, Life is Strange 2. I think it comes out at like the end of August. So I'm sitting here twiddling my thumbs waiting for that one. And I meant to stream the rest of Bioshock Infinite last weekend but crisis came up because apparently we have mice in our house and we had to deal with that and by mice I mean they're not like rats or anything like that they're little deer mice that get indoors somehow probably because it's been so hot and humid outside so they're just looking for someplace nice to be and nice to be happens to be in here but um we had to set up a bunch of mouse traps and things uh we use like the live catch traps so that we can like catch them and then put them outside where they belong far away from here um i haven't caught anything yet i'm waiting i'm just i'm waiting but i have seen a mouse a singular mouse in the hallway and my brother saw one he said he saw one too so we're not they're not like overloaded or anything but the thing is is like if you see one there's got to be a dozen (laughs) yeah yeah so we have like all of these little traps set out with little bits of peanut butter in there and we're hoping that you know the little mice go ooh peanut butter and get in the traps so that we can take them outside we had this problem once before like a couple of years ago and i used these traps these same traps and caught like I don't know, like four different mice or something, and then they stop showing up. So the joys of living in rural Colorado is basically what's that chalked up to. So I'm hoping that maybe I can do Bioshock this weekend. I'm not sure. Because Pokemon's having a community day, and I really want to do that. (laughs) I've been on the uh, Diablo 2.6.6 PTR, which I forgot to put in the email, but which we are going to talk about, because I'm a bit of a dullard, but nevertheless, it's pretty important. What is it? Um, The... uh, Diablo has their season 18 and patch 2.6.6 were out on the PTR last week. Oh, I think it so might even still this, be out. Is this the next season mm-hmm. of next thing? season? Okay. Yep. Uh, and they've, uh, it's actually interesting because this time, instead of it being like the season of nightmares where you have like a, the, a set bonus baked in, they're doing a thing where you just randomly get one of three possible buffs, like a, Basically, just randomly, like any character who's like in the season, as long as you're doing anything, you have a, a chance to have just one of three possible buffs coming up, like a damage buff, a resource regeneration buff, and a health, like a health and damage reduction buff. They can just happen, and it'll spawn a circle on the ground, and if you stand in it, you get the benefit. And it's just any, it'll happen for anybody. It doesn't matter what gear you have. It doesn't matter what level you are. Uh, it just happens. It's just a random little bonus thing that pops up every now yep. and again. Yep. It's, okay. It's literally just it's just baked into everybody, uh, and it's not something that exists in game currently. It's it's brand new for the season. Um, I should know what the name of the season is, but I don't, and that's bothering me because I was just on the PTR the other day. But yeah, I think they said season of the Triune. 
Yes, Season of the Triune, that's right. I think it's essentially based on the old uh, Diablo 3 Triune, I mean the Diablo lore Triune, who are actually the primevals, but pretending to be, they were pretending to be gods in a religion, and at the time they were fighting with uh, Inarius, who had his own religion going on. That's the Sin War stuff. Um, so, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I don't know how I feel about it as a as a season bonus. In, in some ways, it's in some ways it's a lot better because you just get it from the start. You can be level one with absolutely no gear, and you can possibly get this thing. And you well, can yeah, be level. Well, yeah, I was going to say the season right now, as it stands, it's still like your regular bonuses outweigh the little special thingy that they gave you for the season, right? It depends on the class, I think. I think for, for certain players. A lot of players really loved this season, and they loved the bonus, the uh, the thing where you get... But they weren't playing you know, a barbarian? Every... I, they might have been playing a different kind of barbarian, because oh, okay. the barbarian I'm playing is very reliant on the specific set I'm wearing, but if I wanted to play a different type of barbarian, then it might be better to use uh, the, the ancient legendaries and get the bonus that way. There's, there's a lot of players who really get a lot out of it. I think a lot of classes and a lot of builds in those classes work well for it. And more importantly, I think people liked it because it's a conceptual change. At this point, guys, we're just moving into stories here. Just we're top stories. We're doing that right now. Um, oh, yeah. Um, yeah I, I thought we had already acknowledged that we were doing that. So that's okay. Go ahead. Yeah, just making sure <laughs> to say it. Uh, the way that this, the, 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 the thing to, to point out is the way it worked for a lot of people was because the, the piece, the, there's a two-piece set. There was like a two-piece ring set that they were taking the bonus from. And that's great, but it means you kind of use up two slots to get that bonus. And then you, you don't have any sets. So in order to keep that playstyle viable for people who don't want to use a whole set to do it, they're introducing a, a, the Legacy of Dreams uh, epic, the legendary gem. It's one of the gems you can get from doing uh, the, the greater you know, Nephilim Rifts. Oh, okay. And when you get that gem, you level it up like any other legendary gem. And it adds so much, like it adds like a certain, I think like something like 2.5%. It's like, yeah, 5% damage and 2.5% uh, regen or something like that. It, it's a. It looks like, um, I'm looking at basically... the patch notes now because I dug it up. It said it increases your damage dealt by 3.75 and reduces your damage taken by 2%. Yeah, and that's that's for every level you have on the gem. Okay. So as you level the gem up, it'll you'll get another 3.75 damage and 2% damage reduction so it scales and then after you get it to I think level i want to say level 25 when you get to level 25 you then get double the effect for any ancient legendary you have oh so like, it keeps the little ancient legendaries it keeps them actually relevant yeah. it keeps that whole thing if you want to keep using that playstyle, you just have to put this gem into like one of your rings or something and it's it's still a little bit like you still lose a legendary gem but it's much better than losing an entire like two pieces of gear because keep in mind, if you have to use two pieces of gear to get it, that's two pieces of gear that you have to keep until you get an ancient legendary version of them. And that means that you won't be getting the benefit of ancient legendaries in those two slots. And the the gem is actually better because it gives you a, bo a boost just for having legendaries. It doesn't just ancient legendaries, it's legendaries. And then it doubles the effect for ancient legendaries. So it's actually slightly better, in my opinion. And okay. it's a really nice it's a really nice change for people who like that playstyle and can make it work. For me, I have not found a way to get it to work on the classes I like to play, um, except my Crusader. I was doing really well on my Crusader with it for a little while. But for my Barbarian, I wasn't really, I just never felt like I was 
the bonuses I had for my set are just too good and I could never get rid of it. Do you think with 18 adding the extra stuff that that would maybe bump it over the whole, oh, this would work better or no? It's it's quite possible. And, and for that matter, it might just be a matter of playing to a different strength. Uh, because one of the reasons that I'm, I'm so liking the seismic slam build that I'm using is because it, it is essentially a fire and forget spec. You don't have to think a lot about it. You just you run around and you, every time you see something, you just smash the ground repeatedly until it's dead. You just, it's not a lot of complications to it. It's just, if you're watching the stream, I'm doing it right now. That's all it is. It's very simple spec. I, I also appreciate they're adding some new items in here too. And the one that I want to point out is they have one called Squirt's Necklace, which has a new legendary power. While you're not taking damage, your damage is increased by up to 100% and your damage taken is increased by up to 50%. So if yeah. you're not taking damage, then you're doing good, it, better it with that. But what I appreciate about it is that it's called Squirt's Necklace because Squirt is the trainer that shows up in your garrison in World of Warcraft with the Diablo pets for the pet battle stuff. So I'm like, oh, it's a little nod to her. <laughs> and she herself is a nod to Wirt from Diablo. Yeah. The original Diablo. So it's like back and, and forth. It's, it's one of those, one of those pieces. Uh, I think it's a, I want to say it's a pair of gloves, but I'm not sure. Or maybe bracers. I think it's bracers. Um, there's a set of bracers that they've put in that lets your Wrath of the Ancients for, for barbarians add the effects of every rune. Oh, the Wrath, of the, Wrath of the Berserker. Yeah. 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 That's a Mortix Brace. Yeah. And that Mortix Brace was put into the game back in like 2.2.0 or something. And then they took it out before it actually went live because they're like, oh, that's way too powerful. Having Wrath of the Berserker with every rune, that's just ridiculous. And now they're like, back then it yeah. was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, not anymore. That's fine. Go ahead. Go nuts. That's and that's cool. going to be, in my opinion, that Bracer is going to become bis for some barbarians because that's really strong having every rune for for wrath of the berserker i mean i have wrath of the berserker in the build i'm using right now uh and having every rune for it would be really nice so they, they're doing all, there's quite a few things they're adding uh legendary powers to they're not they're only adding like a couple of legendary items they're adding the gem that i mentioned they're adding the bracers and then the rest of the stuff they're adding are just powers to existing items they basically said, yeah. okay, these items are underwhelming, so we're going to make them better. Uh, one of them that comes to mind is Messerschmitt's Reaver, which they added a legendary proc to, which could, because right now when I get Messerschmitt's Reaver, I just shard that thing immediately. I have, there's no purpose to keeping it right now. Yeah, but that legendary power that it's coming with now, it reduces the remaining cooldown of one of your skills by one second when you slay an enemy. And if you're mowing through things that quickly... Yeah, it, it could be really nice yeah. to get... Like, to get cooldowns back it's one of the the nicest things in diablo so overall it's it's an interesting patch uh i haven't gotten like i i wouldn't say that i have a really strong feel for it as such i didn't get that much time to get on but i did get on the ptr like three or four times and i'd say that the legendary gem is flat out better than the season power but the cost is you lose a legendary gem it's it's you're trading off one of the three legendary gems you're probably using for the the ability to use that, you know, set bonus at all times. And I think that's a fair trade. I mean, sometimes like some of the, the legendary gems I'm wearing, I don't really feel like they do a lot. Um, Bane of the Stricken here, you know, each attack you make against an enemy increases the damage it takes from your attacks by 1.24%. 
Uh, and of course it ranks up because I've got a point spent in it. It doesn't feel as powerful or useful as the, the power, you know, the legend, the, the season bonus is. So making it a, a gem so you can slot that in and you can keep it. I think that's a good move. I think it's a pretty, de- it's I an just, interesting way to do it. I kind of like how it has changed to like end game in Diablo has, has kind of morphed over time. And right now it's this whole give and take of, would this be more powerful or this be more powerful? Or if I swap these two things around, or if I change this, like there's a lot more of that to it now than there was previously, because there's so much stuff to do with, you know, the greater rift system and everything else, all of that scaling up to whatever ridiculous level it goes to. It just, it feels like, it feels like they've really honed in on the fun of playing the game, which is smashing as many things as possible and making (laughs) <laughs> the biggest piles of goo and gold <laughs> that you can. And that's fun. <laughs> that's pretty much why the greed boss, when you go to the realm of greed yeah. and you fight the greed boss, that fight is just pure because it is literally just smashing your way through everything, just fountains of gold everywhere, um, gems and items. And then you get to that fight and then you kill it and literally a box full of treasure falls out of the sky and crushes its head. And then you go get your treasure out of the box that crushed its head. And it is pretty much way, Diablo 3. In that way, and I, I know that most people are not like looking forward to the mobile version of Diablo or whatever. But in that way, when you describe it that way, where it's like you smash a bunch of stuff and get a bunch of loot, that sounds like... I don't know, a, a million different mobile games that I could currently find on the Play Store right now on my phone where it's just like, smash these things, get stuff. And it's just entertaining in that aspect yeah. because it's just real quick paced. And I'm like, see, this is why this is why I feel like a mobile game like that would work. I still, I mean, we really haven't heard anything much else about Immortal. and. Not since we heard that it was done and in Blizzard's hands, Blizzard has made no announcements as to what's happening with it. Yeah, and and I'm just, I'm still waiting because part of me says, oh yeah, that'd be like a really fun game. That sounds like it would be a really fun game. And we had people from Blizzard Watch that were at BlizzCon and playtested it and said, yeah, it feels like Diablo. Yeah, the controls are a little bit different, but it feels like Diablo and it's really kind of fun. Um, obviously, at that point, they hadn't decided okay so is this going to be like a pay-to-play thing where it's like you can only do so much and then you have to like regenerate coins or what you know like the stupid mobile game gimmicks that they have that make all kinds of money for mobile games because people have no patience and they have open wallets right um they didn't really talk about how they were going to monetize it or anything like that and i'm still waiting to hear that before i put out any kind of judgment on the game because the game in and of itself as a game from the screenshots that I saw and the videos that I saw of people playing it it looked really fun and a game can be really fun but get really obnoxious really fast when you put some kind of like time gate or or you know some sort of monetization factor in there that's just really annoying so I'm waiting to make my final judgments until I hear more about that and they haven't said anything yet and that's why I'm kind of like huh I wonder if they're weighing the pros and cons and trying to decide what to do with it because when they announced it at BlizzCon people were not happy about that announcement and I get it I totally get it 
people wanted Diablo 4. I wanted Diablo 4. I still want Diablo 4. I mean, I'm just saying. Um, and instead, they're <laughs> like a mobile game. But people got really rude about it without like even looking at it or thinking about it or anything I think else. I've, I've said this before and I say it again. Yeah. The biggest mistake Blizzard ever made, and this is like this is the biggest mistake they have ever made, was not doing another Diablo three expansion after Reaper of Souls. Yeah, they could have easily because done another one. They could have fit another one Mark, in there. The market absolutely would have supported it. People came in droves to Reaper of Souls. People were very happy with the gameplay. And it would have been a chance to finally triumph over the original release narrative of Diablo 3. Yeah. The the original release candidate version of Diablo 3 had some pretty big flaws that upset a lot of people and Reaper Souls fixed all of them and made the game so much better and they could have had a chance if they'd added more stuff to do and more story at that point if they'd done another expansion, Diablo 3 would have been even freaking bigger than it is and it's huge. Diablo 3 is a big game. Every time they put it out for another platform, it sells of like three, five million copies. Yeah, it sold just, something like 137 million over the over its run. It's just one it's, of those things where I think people were expecting one thing, and when they were given the other thing, they were really upset because it wasn't the thing that they were expecting. And I get it. I mean, I do get it, but I think that people were really kind of hard on it and didn't really give it a fair shake because they wanted this other thing so bad. And and I get yeah. it. Like I said, I get it. I want Diablo 4 just as much as the next person. I have a PC. <laughs> I also have a phone and a tablet. So it's like, okay, yeah, you want to give me a mobile Diablo? I, I can get behind that, probably, depending on what you do with the monetization thing. Because I'm not going to sit there and pay you money for little doodads so that I can play for longer at a time or whatever. That's just stupid. Um, yeah, but We should probably move on here. Yeah, we got um, other stuff to talk about. Thing- the next thing I think we're going to talk about really fast because it's kind of just a short thing to talk about is that the uh, Mythic Ashara world first race is over. Method got the world first kill. Limit killed her shortly thereafter. So those two were neck and neck through the whole thing. And it's yeah. it shake out, shake out the way it usually does uh, with Method you know, pulling ahead at the last minute. And uh, I think that the world third has happened since, but I don't remember who got the world third. Uh, Might have um, been pieces. I know that they were like behind but not too far no. behind. I can't remember. Um, I think it was Pieces. I think that's the name of the guild. If I got that wrong, I really apologize to everybody that's in that guild. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, but at any rate, like right now, we've started to see... There was, there was a nerf to the fight that reduced the health on some of the mobs to, to that allowed people to push through finally and get to the final phase and, and kill her. Yeah. So that happened this week. It's been about... I'd say like it's about since last weekend it, it happened over the weekend. So yeah. Yeah. I want to say it was like on Saturday, but I'm not 100% on that. However, method completed it. Um, and they completed it with two healers, which I thought was pretty crazy. Uh, limit brought in a third. So uh, method completed it with two discipline priests and then limit added an extra Holy Paladin on top of that. Um, so it was mostly they were kind of gearing it around preventing damage instead of raw healing output so much, um, which gave them that extra edge. And kudos to them, man. Two healing a fight. Uh, their priests are insane. And yeah. when I say insane, I mean that in like the best possible way. These guys are like top tier players. Amazing. Um, the other cool part was that uh, Method was doing, they were doing uh charity 
efforts on their stream while they were streaming. And I believe as of the Ashara kill, they had raised over $65,000 or yeah, $65,000 for uh, Save the Children, which I thought was also really amazing. <laughs> and yeah, it's, I, I don't, I don't know how they're going to top it, man. I missed it. I missed the kill, but they are actually releasing their kill video on Thursday. Um, and you could still watch the raw feed from their Twitch stream, I think. Um, I missed it because it was like, I don't remember what I was doing. Honestly, I don't remember what I was doing, but I wasn't home. So, or I was sleeping one or the other. <laughs> I, I wasn't home sleeping. and I was sleeping. I was sleeping somewhere I, I, I else. Might've, I might have, I might have been sleeping. I'm not sure. I, I think it was like, I don't remember if it was middle of the night or not. Um, or it was early morning, one or the other. Either which way, I didn't witness it, which I was kind of bummed about because I did watch the Jaina thing. Um, so yeah, I need to go back and watch that kill video because I'm sure it's going to be like absolutely spectacular. Uh, they'll be releasing that on Thursday, I'm guessing on their YouTube channel. But yeah, if you want to check it out now, you can go watch the raw video from the Twitch stream and witness all the screams firsthand. So, congrats to yep. Method. Also this week, uh, one of the things that I wasn't expecting at all uh, we got a new Heroes of the Storm hero, and it's a new hero who is unique to Heroes of the Storm. It's their second character who isn't from any particular Blizzard game. Uh, yeah, she's an original hero. Mm -hmm. And her name's, uh, I want to say Kahira? Is that how you pronounce that? Kira? Kahira? I'm going to say Kahira, but I'm not sure. Because um, the introduction video, I don't think she actually like said her name in the introduction video, and we didn't have our usual delightful guy doing the voiceover stuff because he's no longer with Blizzard, which stinks because it's weird seeing a video without his voiceover with it. I've gotten so used to hearing it, so it's weird. However, yeah, she's an original character. Uh, the second one, Orphea was the first one. This one, and Kahira is the second one. Um, She's basically the last warrior of a race of Nexus dwellers who basically allowed infighting to kind of consume their realm. And I believe that she actually has like the the crystal or, or the shard, the leftover piece of what kept her realm alive. She carries it with her. So it's it's a different kind of take on it. And it's actually kind of cool as far as like backstory goes. I, I, there are people that are like super annoyed that they went with another original hero. Did you? Did you I don't see know, this? I don't know if people are annoyed, but I have seen people tweet that you know since they they're no longer putting out a hero every month, they're like down to it's more like every three to four months that putting out an original hero means that you're not going to see like, any of the beloved Blizzard characters for another like at this point it might not be till the end of the year, like the next. I'm assuming time they're going to announce another hero. one at BlizzCon. Yeah. And I've seen people say that that bothers them, but I haven't seen a ton of hate about this because I think most people are like, ah, oh, she seems pretty cool. And I, I'll just say it. Uh, the beloved Alex Zebart, the editor-in-chief emeritus of this site, made a really good point in that it's like if Blizzard decided they wanted to do a, a black woman for their character, they didn't really have a deep bench to draw from. You know, there's some minor StarCraft characters. They don't, you know, they don't actually have that many so they kind of had to make one up and i think he's kind of right that, that this is a case of where blizzard does if they're trying to get a little bit more diverse of a look they they have to start making characters because they don't have them um and i think that's true plus i mean i like her sword whip thing it's pretty cool it's i think every video game eventually gets the sword whip person like you know soul caliber had ivy and that it was about time blizzard got their soul their sword whip person um uh, 
So yeah, I, I think she looks pretty neat. She was my favorite oh. in Soul Calibur just because she's a delight to play. But anyway, um, beyond that, I don't know why people are like too surprised about this because they did say it was like a big thing at BlizzCon last year where they were talking about how they were trying to build like this whole kind of cohesive backstory for Heroes of the Storm and build it kind of as its own universe. Um, which is why they brought up the whole Raven Lord thing and they brought in Orphea and now they've got Kahira in here. So it's like I I'm not I'm not sitting here going I expected this, but I'm also not super surprised about it because they said that that was the direction that they were going to be taking this year. So, yeah, I know people want Deathwing or whatever in in the game. Okay, that's cool, guys. I they know. They know. But they're working on a different direction right now, and they said like straight up at last year's BlizzCon that they were going to be working in this direction. So, I'm not really like surprised about this. I think she's cool, honestly. Um, I think she's pretty cool. I love her attacks. Her attacks are really entertaining. She kind of unleashes the sword in a targeted direction, that kind of thing, because it's on the chain like that. But she also, um, she has like a bleed attack that causes enemies to bleed for like 46 damage, I think it is, over four seconds. And then she has this thing called Revolving Sweep, where she attaches her sword to the first enemy hero that she hits, stunning them for... I think it's like 0.25 seconds or something like that. But once she's attached, she avoids basic attacks and becomes immune to all effects. So she can rotate around the target and deal 109 damage to any enemies between her and the target. She basically turns herself into a buzzsaw. And if anybody's between her and the person that she's hooked, they get damaged. And I think that that's like really interesting. Of course, she also has a grappling hook where she can pull herself to any terrain or hero or that kind of thing um and i think that that's a really neat ability i mean who doesn't love a good grappling hook i do (laughs) but then uh she's also got a i want to say that there's like an ability a stun ability yeah unrelenting strikes she deals 46 damage to all nearby enemies every 0.5 seconds for 2.5 seconds as her sword grows outward and upon expiring she deals 86 damage to all nearby enemy heroes and she stuns them for 0.75 seconds so she does like this whole stun stuff she's an assassin hero she's not a tank she's not like support or anything like that she's a straight up assassin hero that does damage dealing and honestly the little bit of gameplay that i saw in her introduction video i was immediately going oh yeah no this would be a really cool hero to play this would be a really cool hero to play in matches and things like that. She's going to pump out a lot of damage. And she just looks cool. I don't know who her voice actress is, but she sounds rad. So yeah. I like her. I think it looks like a cool character. So yeah, I'm totally down with them having created her and I have no problem with it. I think it's one of those situations where people, they just want what they want and they don't really think about anything else. I don't know. I, I it's, like again, I said, I it's like the Diablo Immortal thing. It was like you were expecting one thing and they gave you something else. And that thing may or may not be cool, but you're still upset because you didn't get the other thing you wanted. And and I feel like that's where people are at, the people that are kind of complaining about her. I think she's rad. So, yeah, I Like I said, I haven't seen anything more than, oh, well, now we're not going to get X character for a few months. I haven't seen anybody outright go nuts on this. I've seen a little... A little disquiet. That's all I've noticed. But yeah. Uh, moving on to the next thing, because this is kind of interesting for us. We talked about it a little bit last week, but we we now know more about it. Uh, patch 2.5, I mean, patch 8.2.5. Sorry, my bad. It's on the PTR now. 
and it's got the redesigned worgen and goblin models it's got the uh the heritage armor quest for them and uh the new b mount is available as well it's on the ptr as well so yeah a lot of interesting stuff for that it's not a big patch and as of right now um i think i remember seeing peculia talking about this um there's no war campaign stuff in it at the moment there's no continuation of the story it's not actually up at the moment keep in mind the ptr is not up it's they've been data mining because it's being uploaded yeah and from what we know of it like the stuff we know that is there is the stuff i mentioned uh right now there's no war campaign stuff that doesn't mean there won't be but as of right now there's no war campaign stuff there's no continuation of the story so from 8.2 to 8.2 8.5 there doesn't seem to be any progression or change in the story which might be what happens or they might add more stuff we don't know um, I feel like since it's early and they're just uploading things, like the PTR isn't actually open yet, there's probably other stuff that's going to be introduced there. They just haven't implemented it yet, so Wowhead hasn't snatched it. Um, keep in mind that the B-mount, uh, it's an alliance quest, by the way. So if you don't have an alliance character at max level, you might want to do that, because the way that that's going to work is you're going to have to complete a quest line in Stormsong Valley to earn it. Um, you go to, obviously, the meadery, and you talk to Barry, the beekeeper, who will set you on track to eventually get a bee mount of your very own. I'm assuming that the mount, once you get it, I mean, it's going to go in your mount closet, and you'll be able to use it on Horde and Alliance, but um, that hasn't been confirmed either way. I'm just assuming that because I feel like a lot of Horde players would be super miffed if they couldn't ride around on a bee. And also, I really want to see a Tauren riding a bee. Although I don't want to see a bee being ridden by a Tauren because that's cruel. I want to see a Tauren riding a bee. No, no. See, the thing is, seeing a Tauren riding a bee is different than seeing a bee being ridden by a Tauren. I would feel bad for the bee. Oh, okay. Uh, Oh, oh God. (laughs) That's what I want to see. I want to see. I want to see how the bumblebee. Like... My thorax. Oh, I'm flapping I'm just, every wing I have. I, I'm just. Uh, I'm just like remembering the bee movie at the beginning where he's like a bee can't isn't supposed to be flies. Yeah. Anyway, um, if you know the movie, you know what I'm talking. I haven't actually seen the film. I've just seen various iterations of here's the B movie script on something. So yeah, uh, I just remember right when I was playing a Torrin and you were playing a Blood Elf and you were on your motorcycle and I'd get in the sidecar. It looked like somebody had jammed like a really, really. It's like if someone took a turkey and attempted to jam it like you know downside first into an extremely small hole. I was just like it's like Torrin coming out of that thing literally pouring out of that car that's car seat this is gonna tip over there's no way this thing's gonna stay up the torrent's like three times the size of the whole vehicle yeah i'm not sure if they're doing like in any data mining data mining yet but they had the development notes that were live with the list of new stuff that's coming and oh one of the other things that we should talk about there's going to be a new anniversary mount uh the ptr will have a test for the 15th anniversary that comes up like later this year basically you complete three raids and you get the obsidian world breaker mount which is basically a mini i'm saying basically way too much anyway it's a mini deathwing that you get to ride around and it's pretty amazing it's not actual deathwing deathwing it just looks like him um there's also going to be the ultrac valley battleground that you can enter to earn currency so you can buy either the Stormpike Battle Charger for the Alliance or the Frost Wolf Snarler for the Horde. Um, 
that's all coming with the anniversary event, which is going to be in November. So the fact that they're putting it on the 8.25 PTR, to me, that says that we probably won't see this patch go live until late October. I would not be surprised if it comes out just before uh, BlizzCon and then at BlizzCon, they're going to say, right now you're doing 8.25 stuff. Let's talk about 8.3. Yeah, because that that seems to be a thing to do. Either that or talk about the next expansion. I don't know. If they do more than just say the name of the next expansion, I'll be real surprised. I'll be delighted. (laughs) I I expect they'll just do a thing at the end of the, when they talk about 8.3, if there's anything past 8.3, they'll talk about that, a la, and then Argus. And then they'll basically name drop the name of the next expansion and explain Rise how we're Black getting Empire. there. That's not the name. No, whatever that's, just, that's the one that yeah. I've been like touting for. I'm like, yeah, give us that. <laughs> yeah, it's probably it not going to be that. It's going to be something we don't expect at all. It, it's really hard to read where they're going right now. It really is. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I would expect for that, that convention. Yeah. All right. But let me look at the, what else have we got to talk about. Um, did the World Cornets... Did that, did that. Uh, I guess we can talk about this Overwatch uh, workshop mode because it's fun. Yeah, somebody released a workshop mode thing that it's called Loot Quest. And it's kind of like a rudimentary single player RPG only for Overwatch. So it's got levels, it's got loot, it's got various enemies to, to defeat. And... It does It does a lot, but it's missing a few things. Um, you basically you enter the game as Tracer, and you're level 1, and you defeat randomly spawning enemies, and then you earn money and loot, and you can spend that money in the spawn room to buy loot or summon a boss. And the loot you, you is basically up, other characters. Yeah, and you pick up the loot with your crouch button, which is really kind of interesting, but like, it, it's, it's not super challenging or anything like that. Um... It's just interesting because it's like the first iteration of somebody playing around with the idea of making an Overwatch RPG. Even if it's just, you know, somebody tooling around in workshop mode, it's kind of cool. Um, and there is a code for it. The code is CY21Q. So if you want to play it and try it out for yourself, you can go ahead and use that code and grab it. Um, I think it's cool. I think it's kind of neat, but... I mean, yeah, it doesn't have a lot to it, developmentally speaking, but again, the workshop is kind of limited in the tools that you can use. I feel like as they add more to the workshop and let people play more with the workshop, we're going to get some really extraordinary stuff in there. Right now, people are still doing some pretty extraordinary stuff with just the limited things that they have. So I don't know. No, I I think it's pretty interesting, especially the way that they, I mean, there's obviously only so much you can actually do with it. That's not like actual quests as such. Um, and the idea of gear, the gear you get the loot is actually just, you know, now you can play as like, you know, McCree and at a higher level, like level 10 McCree and so forth. It's interesting. Um, if nothing else, it does show you that it is possible to do, to take this engine and do something more RPG with it. So if, if the rumors of Overwatch 2 come, I mean, coming and having a more player versus environment spin on things then it could be interesting to see how far people have taken it in workshop. But yeah, it's, it's neat. I just think it's a neat little idea. So I don't really have much else to say about it. I thought it was cool. Thought we could yeah. mention it. Yeah. So yeah. All right. Um, that basically takes us through to emails. And if you've got an email for the show, uh, please send it to 
podcast at blizzardwatch.com with the subject line podcast or Blizzard Watch. Or if you want to have a question answered, but you don't want to send an email, we do have a Discord channel and a Discord server. And the Discord server does have a channel just for Q and podcast questions. Um, you can you can ask us stuff there, and we'll, we do our best to get them, you know, to, to call through them and get them for the show. So, again, either that Discord server or podcast at, at um, blizzardwatch.com and with podcast in the subject line if you use an email so we know it's for the show. And if you don't mind reading them for us. Okay, first email is from Sivis of Dethicus, who we've heard from before, who says, Greetings, watchers. How aware do you think the old gods are of their purpose slash creation? Do you think they know about the Void Lords, or are they perhaps just sort of thinking they're the end-all, be-all of their power? What do you think, Rossi? I don't know, because it's never like, you know, they if they, I don't think, the thing is, we know that the, we know about the Void Lords because they're in Chronicle. But just because they're mentioned in Chronicle doesn't mean that anybody else knows about them. Like Sargeras very clearly only thinks of the Void as an impersonal force. He doesn't think of it as something that has lords. He just thinks of it as a nightmare. And he knows that the old gods are tied to it. I'm assuming that if he knows that, the old gods know it, that they're tied to the Void. But that doesn't mean that they actually answer to any specific beings living in the Void. Or that the conception of the Void Lords that we have might completely be inaccurate because we're thinking of them as beings and they're more like the opposite of beings. Like they can't enter our universe. That's why they had to send the old gods in because they can't come here. So that's a good question that I don't have an answer to. I don't know if it's as simple as they know that the void Lords exist or for that matter, do the void Lords exist in any way that could be measured or understood or are the opposite of existence? If you're a being of void you're a being of nothing if you are a being of nothing are you a being like it's one of those things if you stop and really think about it the very nature of the void lords might make them or the are you just of, a possibility like, yeah i mean that's the whole thing about the void right it's everything is true it's kind of like the whole assassin's creed thing and i knew i would get assassin's creed in there somehow uh but it's like that whole idea of you know nothing is true everything is permitted if everything is true it's the same thing as nothing being true if everything is true then then nothing is forbidden so it's it's essentially the same basic idea. What if the Void Lords don't really have a will as such, or at least anything they can understand? They're not going to be giving the old gods any orders, and the old gods are doing what they do because they want to do it. It doesn't matter if they understand that the Void Lords exist, or do they even care? That's a good question. I don't. I don't have an think to they it. like regularly report back to the Void Lords or anything like that. Like we've never heard any indication of them speaking about you know the boss or whoever they're working for or anything else. They just kind of talk about what they're up to. So they might be cognizant of something larger out there, but in the grand scope of what they're doing, that doesn't really matter so much. Um, and and for that matter, I mean. The Void it's, Lords it's not like not the Burning any... Legion where you have like a little beacon where you're talking to some big guy. <laughs> it just doesn't work that yeah. way. For that matter, the Void Lords might not actually be more powerful than the old gods. They're just completely out. They're outside of our understanding or experience. They are from elsewhere. They are from a realm that is completely different than this one, has different rules. The old gods might... It's not a question of power or servitude. The old gods are capable of existing in this universe to corrupt it, and the Void Lords are not. The Void Lords can't come here, so they have to. They have to have intermediaries. They have to have beings 
that can do the work for them. And really, all yeah. we've heard about the Void Lords, I think, have they ever mentioned them in game or was it just in Chronicle? I think it's just in Chronicle. I the, think it's I mean, just in Chronicle. And, and all there, we... there are Void Lords but in it's game, not the same but they're thing. not the Void Lords. Yeah, yeah it's, they're just... it's, it's not the same thing. And in Chronicle, all that's really said about them is that they're the Void Lords and they send like these little chunks of void spitting out into the universe where they land on planets and become the old gods or whatever that's the extent of it really the old the old gods are kind of like these parasitic entities that are being spewed out by the void lords to go turn planets and, and that's it that's all we've been told we have no idea what these guys are or anything and frankly as far as chronicle is concerned it you know the thing about books and and material written material and stuff like that is that it's true until they decide to change it and if they decide to change it well then it's not true anymore and we we have an example of this from like um oh gosh like way back in burning crusade where they talked about the drenai and and then when they actually came out with the drenai it was like a completely different thing because, like, initially the Draenei were the ones who were supposed to have corrupted Sargeras, and instead it turned around into this other thing that turned out to be this really great storyline that's played out for the past how many years now? I don't want to think about it. We're old. Anyway, regardless, <laughs> it the story can change. And the story, as we had been told up until that point, was that Sargeras was corrupted by the Draenei. The story that we got in Burning Crusade was no, it was actually the other way around. So there's two ways you can look at it. You can look at it as Blizzard messing up their own lore, which is a really negative way to look at it, or you can look at it from the term uh, point standpoint of the storyteller. Whoever it was that told us that story in-game, like the in-character person who like wrote all this stuff down in the little books that they put in-game, that person was mistaken they had like an incorrect source it's it's the same thing with all stories like over the course of history stories get pa passed down from person to person and each person makes a little change to them and makes them look a little different which is why when you look at oh i don't know disney's interpretation of the little mermaid does it look anything like the original hans christian anderson tale not so much it's a lot happier for one thing <laughs> yeah it doesn't end I mean, with her dying for another thing so like you know examples yeah there's examples in actual mythology like these yeah if you've ever heard of the story of callisto the bear and how she was a nymph that zeus seduced and then you know, she got turned into a bear by hera because she was upset originally the bear was artemis and in fact artemis is very much linked to bears in the original cult culture and it's just as new people came along and needed a different myth to justify things that they were talking about, they changed the story. And that happens in If you look at the corollaries between Greek myths and Roman myths, they kind of like follow the same past, but they're two different things because they're from two different cultures. Yeah, and for that but matter... But there's still the similarities between the two, you know what I mean? It's, it's yeah, they, that kind of a you, thing. There's a lot of different variables to it. The uh, point the one... being, I'm going to yeah. go back to what we were talking about. The point being is that all we have is this little bitty, teeny, tiny taste of information about the Void Lords. That's it. And we don't even know if that taste is accurate. It might not be telling us the full story. I mean, they could have a reason they're sending these old gods out into the Void. We don't know what that reason is. Or 
they could be these creatures that are under attack from something or other and the old gods are actually like being shed from their bodies and accidentally infecting the universe we don't know we really don't know (laughs) perception is everything and we only have one line of perception right now so I feel like somewhere along the line they're going to have to address this but I don't know if the old gods are aware of their creators I really don't they've never given any indication of it ever to my knowledge anyway yeah, there's enough, there's never been a time where an old god has said, and now I do the bidding of the old lord, avoid lords. Ha ha ha. No, they they present themselves as gods. They present themselves as powerful entities that, you know, do their what they do for their own reasons. They don't go around talking about their I mean, masters look at, or creators. Yog Saron's big old opening speech spiel thing that it gives you before it bursts through the everything that it says is like I'm the beginning and the end and the da 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 it's there's nothing about that is until I have to, you know <laughs> hang on a second guys, in between phase two and phase three I'm gonna call the boss and make sure I'm doing stuff right. No, there's none of that. It they present themselves as these omni omni, omni- I can't say the word. Omnipotent. Thank you. Creatures. <laughs> I'm not even going to try it again because I can't talk today. Uh, that are gods, basically. I mean, they're old gods. It's right there in the name. So, yeah, I don't know. If they're aware, they don't care. I rhymed. Yeah, they certainly don't show it, but yeah. Let's go ahead and go to the next email here. Um, this one is from Democracy. Demon, democracy. It's basically democracy with a O-N in the anyway. It it's very clever, even if I can't pronounce it right. And I apologize to you. They say hi. Thank you for answering my questions when I send in emails. Love you too. We love you too, even though I can't pronounce your name. And I'm sorry. Uh, they said now that two 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 lock is coming to the Overwatch League. What teams do you think will make a splash on stage four? I think London is going to make a serious push into September with the help of Prophet and Birdring and a solid DPS role. What do you think, Rossi? Do you have any opinions on this? I think it's going to be the Shanghai Dragons because you like them and I decided to support them. The thing is, is like, okay, I can see that with the Dragons, sure, yes, and I love the Dragons. We all know that I love the Dragons, but I also think that Democracy here has a good point because Prophet and Bird Ring are completely insane and when you put them in a solid DPS role, that's when things start getting really crazy and really interesting and I would not be surprised that... London, I'm surprised we haven't seen London do more over the course of the season, of the second season here. Um, And I fully expect that we're going to see them kind of roar to the front again. I think that the roll lock is going to be, I think it's going to shake things up a little bit. I, I really do. Because when you've been playing for so long at such a competitive level with a particular um what do you want to call it canvas um, i guess what have you um of gameplay where you can do certain things and you can swap out of certain things and you can take the guy who's doing amazing as a dps role and swap him into support and all of a sudden he's killing his support too when you suddenly can't do that anymore that's when the players who don't necessarily do a lot of swapping the players who stick to run one role constantly, that's when those players are going to shine and they're going to get an opportunity to shine. So I'm really interested in seeing 
what happens in terms of like the individual teams, uh, particularly the teams that have relied like on the goats comp for so long, um, how they're going to compensate for it and how they're going to perform in stage four. Uh, I guarantee you when that announcement came out, they immediately started making plans of who was going to play what. <laughs> and they've probably been practicing ever since. One, so... question I wanna, one thing I'm still not 100% on, and I'm sure we've talked about it before, and I'm sure you've explained it before, but I want to ask anyway. With the way roll lock works, if you had, say, you have the 2-2-2 two, two, two comp going in, and one of your support wants to go DPS and one of your DPS wants to go support, can they? No. Can so you're you are that role for once the whole you match. start that match once you start that match if you start that match as support you will be playing support throughout the whole match you can switch between support characters so if you're playing mercy you could swap to i don't know another support character moira yeah you could swap to moira or you could swap to lucio you could swap to those guys like or, or Zenyatta, you could swap to Zenyatta. You could swap to like the predetermined list of support heroes that are available. You could do that. But could you switch to Winston? No, because that's a tank. And you queued up a support for that match. So the, the little flip-flopping between roles mid-battle, not going to happen. Um, and once people pick a role, they got to stick with it. They will be able to switch in between matches. So say someone is playing Mercy or whatever for a match, and then the next match they say, hey, I want to go DPS. They can go ahead and pick DPS, but for that match, they can only switch to DPS roles. It's like, it just locks them in place. And honestly, you know, when they introduced Overwatch and they came out with the idea of being able to swap heroes like mid-match, I thought that was a really cool concept because it kind of opened up the gameplay and let people pick and choose who they wanted to play at any given point in time. And it wasn't so much about, are you really, really good with one hero? It, it was more like, what do you bring to the table from the whole plate? Like, what can you flip to to help out at any given point in time? And I thought that that was a really cool concept. But when you're dealing with competitive gameplay like that, sometimes that offers, sometimes there's, sometimes there's too much flexibility and you need to kind of streamline it a little bit. And I feel like that's what this is doing. I'm interested in seeing how it affects stage four. I, I want to see who's going to come out on top. I feel like London is going to have a pretty good edge because like I said, Profit and Bird Ring are completely insane. And I'm looking forward to watching them play because they're just a joy to watch anyway, regardless. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, you got anything to add, Rossi? Nope. Okay. I got one more email here. So we're going to go ahead and do that. Uh, this is a longer email. Apologies. Uh, who's, this is from uh, Jeriel, a human paladin on Trollbane, who says, Hi, Blizzard Watch team. After many of your recent podcasts and their focus on lore, I found myself spending time thinking about games as a narrative tool. Mm, this is my favorite subject. Anyway, uh, in particular, lore-heavy games like World of Warcraft seem to often take the approach of a narrative canon that we all agree is true with a capital T. However, there is another approach. Historical narratives are often pieced together from artifacts of the past and first-hand accounts. We build a narrative out of these fragments via historical research, knowing that our version of history isn't complete and is always open to new interpretation. This ties back into what we were just talking about. Anyway, uh, going on. You've suggested before that the Chronicles might have an unreliable narrator, but I've been wondering if a shared game like World of Warcraft might benefit from this narrative approach. What do you think? Does WoW benefit from a canon that we all agree upon? Or would conflicting or even contradictory narratives improve the experience of the game? Thanks for all your hard work, Jeriel. Um... 
I'm going to let you talk, Rossi. But before yeah. I say it, before bu- I'm just going to say the conflicting narrative thing worked out really well for for the Drenai. Okay, I'm go ahead, say, Rossi. <laughs> not just the Drenai. Um, we've routinely seen that you know just because the light presents itself in a certain way doesn't mean that the vo- way it presents the void is entirely accurate. Um, we saw that in A Thousand Years of War. Uh, just because the void often drives people mad doesn't mean that the void is inimical, or at least it's not actively hostile. It's just the void. And if people go mad experiencing It's a force. It, it's a thing. Yeah. It's a presence. There's, it's not a creature. There's. We learned just from going into Chronicle, we learned that the way that the the Titans the way the Titans fell out, that was new information to us. None of us knew that for the longest time. We had no idea what had happened to the Titans or where they were. And then when we got into Legion, things weren't quite how they were presented in, in Chronicle. I don't think Chronicle is trying to be Canon with a capital C. I, I don't think that's where they're going in world of Warcraft. I think in fact, what you've stumbled upon is the constant dichotomy between living, evolving gameplay and what has come before they always make the choice whenever they make a decision with the story in world of Warcraft, they make a choice that the gameplay that they're developing right now is more important than what they said it was in a book five years ago or whatever. And this comes back to what Anne was talking about when she mentioned the Draenei. Chris Metzen wrote the original, the original notes in when Warcraft two and three's journals, and he specifically the Warcraft three journal that talks about how Sargeras became fallen how he turned into the the fallen titan yeah you guys want to know how chris metzen just sidetrack for a second do you want to know how chris metzen became creative director he came in i want to say he did art and stuff for warcraft one yeah they brought him in as an artist and then in warcraft two they had him kind of expand the instruction manual a little bit with some more flavor like a little bit of story that kind of thing like expanded a little bit and then in Warcraft 3, I feel like in Warcraft 3 is where they said, okay, you've got the reins now. Can you do what you want with the story? And that's when we got all of this incredible stuff that happened in Warcraft 3. Um, he kind of stepped into that role. He wasn't originally hired to write lore. He was originally hired as an artist and then kind of sidestepped into story writing and stuff like that. So yeah, the the stuff in Warcraft 2, the Warcraft 2 manual, that was just him tooling around, filling out the thing. Not necessarily with the idea of, oh, yeah, this is going to be a <laughs> decade-long MMO in the future or anything like that. He was just dotting down stuff yeah. that sounded cool, you know. And when he got to writing the Warcraft 3 journal, he wrote a specific origin for Sargeras that the Eridar had been his his opponents when he was a Titan. And encountering them and their corruption had driven him slowly, you know, to the point where he rebelled against the Titans order and freed them and made them his servants. When he was coming up with the lore for the Draenei for, you know, burning crusade, keep on the Draenei had appeared already. They were the lost ones in Warcraft three. Um, yeah. We saw them in outland, but we hadn't seen the non-corrupted ones. We'd just seen the ones that had been, you know, exposed. The little squishy guys that are out in the Swamp of Sorrows. Akama is a character that was from Warcraft 3. Yeah. When when they were writing, the, the, they were bringing the Draenei in, he, they basically were, were coming up with what would be cool. And they was like, he was looking at pictures of the Eridar, and he said, wouldn't it be cool if Eridar were playable? But Eridar irredeemably evil. But what about the Draenei? What if the Draenei and the Eridar are the same people? And he came up with this whole thing, and it was a cool origin. 
And he wrote it all down and they started working on it. And only then did he realize, but this completely contradicts what I wrote in the journal for, uh, in the, in the manual for Warcraft two, three, because a lot of people pointed it out when the Draenei were introduced, first introduced at which point he threw up his hands and said, sorry guys, I kind of forgot about that. And And he straight up wrote, if you ever get a chance to read the thing he wrote, you should go look it up. Yeah. Uh, He's very, he's like, look guys, straight up. I forgot that. And, I should have remembered it because I'm the guy that wrote it. So you would have thought I'd remembered it, but I didn't. However, I think the lore we've come up with now is really strong and it will lead to good stories. So we're going to go with it. So this is also coincidentally when they started coming up with the idea of having a historian team at Blizzard to keep track of all of that stuff. Yeah. And if you've ever been a writer, like even like if you just write little stories for yourself You've done this at least once in your life. You've written something that contradicts or forgets something you wrote earlier. It's just what happens. It's very hard to keep track of all this stuff. I honestly think the Draenei change and the fact that WoW has in a sense embraced the idea that at any time we can learn new things, that's stronger. The game is stronger for it. The whole thing with the Void and the Light and all of that that we started getting in Legion and we've seen in Battle for Azeroth and now we're seeing it with death and death gods too. It's it's not that this stuff is from the perspective of people who are know they're playing a game. Then yes, some stuff has been changed. From the perspective of your character in the game world, you just didn't know. And that's that is the approach they've been using. So your your idea of it's you know constructed and it can change at any time. Accidentally, admittedly, they didn't start out saying that's the way it's going to be. That's just the way it has been. That's the way it's become because of the choices they've made throughout the, oh Lord, um, 30, 20 something year world of Warcraft is like, yeah, 1994, 25 years. Warcraft is 25 years old this year. The Warcraft franchise, not yeah. world of Warcraft. World, world of Warcraft is 15, but the, the entire franchise is 25 years old this year. So it's At not just the anniversary point, of World of Warcraft, it's the yeah. anniversary of Warcraft too. At this point, World of Warcraft has been long around longer than the original RTS games by like a substantial margin. Yeah. Five years. Um, that seems yeah, like a substantial it's... enough margin. <laughs> oh yeah, it is. I'm not arguing with it. Uh, I'm just saying because it is what it is, because it is the kind of game it is, because it has developed the way it has developed, because it has such a huge team working on it, it has by almost process of time become a game where the narrative is constructed because you can't have it any other way and still have the freedom to put new stuff in. You can't say to people, Oh, well we can't do that because you know, back in Warcraft one, it was stone wind. Like no one cares, man. That was Warcraft one. We've made out like how many games now or just we're going with Stormwind. We, we, we changed it. We're going with it. That's just how it is. The narrative is an evolving one. It is a constructed one. It is one where change can happen and everything you think you know can be wrong and I feel because like, it has to be. I feel like there's an interesting point to be made too on perspective in general because when you are a reader reading something, you're taking everything that you're reading as gospel. Like this is this is what the words are. This is what it means. When you are an author you aren't necessarily doing that particularly if you're working on something that's like an ongoing series or if you're working on something that is iterative iterative lore like in a comic book series or a video game something like that where you have an ongoing storyline that keeps evolving over time that story 
it doesn't have a the end at the end of it it's just going it just keeps going so what you have to keep in mind as an author or a creative development person that's working on this kind of thing is that when you're writing these things nothing is ever set in stone ever ever the things that people play through and they take as gospel as you know oh they said it in game so it must be true yeah, it is at the time, but later on, it could turn out that that was a lie or that was an incorrect perception. And Rusty made a really good point that players tend to look at the game and when you look at the game, you're looking at it from the perspective of somebody who has all that background information, who has read all those novels, who has read all those books, who has done all the research, or maybe, you know, just hung out on Wowpedia for a while and, and gone through the lore stuff and has like a good understanding of everything that came before. That's how you're looking at it when you're playing the game. But when the game is being written, it's being written for you, the nameless hero who exists in Azeroth and doesn't have that expanded knowledge of the universe around them. So the stuff that they're being introduced to, it isn't necessarily set in stone. It isn't necessarily true. It isn't necessarily false. It's just there and you get to interpret it whatever way you want. But the other important thing that you have to keep in mind is that when you're writing stories like this, you can't just write a storyline for a single expansion and go, yep, that was the story beginning to end like you would write like a sequel to a novel or something like that, you have to leave plants in there and little seeds here and there that you can pick up later if you want to, to further the story in a different tangent, like later on down the road. And when I say later on down the road, I mean like an expansion or three down the road. You can go back and pick up that thing from way back when, or you could just leave it. Doesn't matter. Um, and they do that a lot. They do that a lot in World of Warcraft. Cataclysm was chock full of elements that they brought in, particularly in the new uh, level ex leveling experience from 1 to 60. They brought in all kinds of little side storylines and things like that that had the potential for being picked up later on down the road. Some of them have been picked up. Some of them have not. The stuff that has been picked up, they played with it and they made it work in a really kind of effective way. But it you can't really... You can't really set WoW with a canon that everybody agrees on. And you can't really set it as something that's set in stone. I know right now, um, I did the Ultimate Visual Guide, like, how many years ago was that now? It, it was, was around Warlords time, wasn't it? Yeah, Warlords was when I did the update. I actually added stuff for Warlords. Prior to that, it was just through Mists of Pandaria. So it was a while ago. But there's stuff now in the Ultimate Visual Guide that it might have been accurate at the time it was written, but it's no longer accurate now because stuff has changed. And that's just the nature of the game. That's the nature of any kind of ongoing narrative like that. Things are going to change. Nothing that exists in those books and those guides and those encyclopedias and those everything else, none, none of that is actually like set in stone. I, I, I like to call it kind of canon-ish. And I know they refer to like the RPG books as kind of the same thing. The RPG books, if you go back to the RPG modules and what they decided to do with those, um, it's kind of the same kind of concept. Because they call the RPG books, they said they're non-canon unless we decide to make it canon. So all of that stuff that was introduced in the RPG guides, it's not canon. It doesn't exist in the game. But hey, Tandred showed up. That was something from the RPG books that they decided to go ahead and bring in and incorporate. Why? Because it'd be cool if Jaina had another brother. And it is. He's a cool character. I like him a lot. I'm glad that they brought him in. I was, I was terrified that they weren't going to bring him in. But they did. So, like, I don't think you can really... 
work with like an established canon in a game and successfully do an ongoing narrative. I don't think that those two things work hand in hand. I don't know. What do you think? I think you can have on canon, but you always have to remember that it can change. It fluctuates. It is. It has to be flexible for the purposes of creating new gameplay. You can't say, well, you can't do X because back in, you know, 2003 on the RTS game, we said, why? It's like, well, tough. We're doing it. Come up with a way to justify it. And that's always been the Warcraft way. It's always been come up with a way to justify it. And they always have. Even if it meant having to make the world bigger, even if it meant having to create new characters, that's what they do because it's a game first and it's other stuff later you introduce it and then you build the world around it in a way that makes sense so the stuff that happened in the past isn't necessarily 100 percent set in stone or anything but when they decide to alter it or change it there's there's a legit reason for them doing so there's always a legit reason and they try and sculpt the story around that so that it does make the sense. The tomb of Sargeras. The tomb yeah. of Sargeras, we didn't we didn't know it was the Temple of Alun until Oh no, until had no idea. That was that was a no big ever thing. But it was cool, you know, when they came out with it. Um Lord Omadon in the chat channel, and this is a good point, and I know we're going over, I hope you don't mind that we're going over, Rossi. Are you okay with going over a little bit? We're probably going to wrap it up fairly soon. Okay. Lord Omadon in the chat channel says, so, okay, this is all well and good and a fascinating way of looking at it, but then what is the appeal of being a quote-unquote lore buff if they could just change it whenever? Like, I get it, but it also sounds lazy a bit. What's the point of knowing history if we can find out that everything we know about history is not correct? What's the point of loving paleontology if we can discover that new paleontological facts can be discovered and suddenly dinosaurs have feathers? Yeah. Stuff changes. The point of knowing it is just for the pure knowledge of context helps. And if you know the lore, then you know when they make a change. You can see it. You can understand why. The Draenei retcons are a really big example. I get the Draenei retcon. I remember the way it used to be. I remember the whole thing about the Eridar, the way it was set up. And it's better now. But I can know that because I knew the way it was. Knowing lore makes games more interesting it makes them more fun it gives them a context it makes them it's the difference between being on an amusement park ride and actually knowing the people that are on the journey with you it's i don't know how else to put it that's my take on it for from my perspective i think stories in general are really fascinating things and i like seeing the innards of how they work and i like seeing how they're woven together it's just kind of a fascinating hobby for me um and i would do i call myself a lore buff absolutely yeah because i like taking all of the information and looking at all the information and seeing if i can figure out where they're going to go with things and that kind of thing it's just a fun little kind of side hobby thing but as far as being a lore buff it's okay if they can change it wherever whenever that's that's part of that whole ongoing narrative thing and personally i find the idea of sculpting an ongoing narrative it's on another level from just writing a book. And I don't mean to like diss people that just write books because hi, books are amazing and I love them, but there's something different to creating a story that never ends and watching that develop and seeing how that is handled. To me, that's kind of fascinating. That's why I like lore. That's why I like, you know, and World of Warcraft, I think it has like a really interesting story and I like seeing where they're going with it. I like seeing all the changes. <laughs> Every time it's like they throw me a new curveball. I'm like, hmm, I wonder how that's going to work. Oh, okay. This makes sense. You know, 
Trust um, me, the second that they reveal that Anduin Lothar's secret daughter has come back to save the Alliance, everyone will be like, there was never any sign that he had a secret daughter, and I'm going to be the one going, yes! Yes, there was! Secret Way daughter. back when! <laughs> it's just... When, they, when, the, when, they, when the movie came out, yeah, and they had changed, they, they did stuff like revealing that Lothar was um, Lane's wife's brother? Yeah. That What was her name? Talia or Talia, Tanya? yeah. Something like that. The, I can't... No, fact that I can't remember Tanya, her name. I think. I think it was Tanya, but th- that she was, that meant that, you know, Varian Rin was his nephew. It made, it made every, like, I hope they decide to just say that that's canon because that makes the whole thing with Varian make so much more sense and be so much more poignant. It's like, why did he, you know, he dragged that kid out of Stormwind by himself. He put himself in extreme danger when he was very important. He, he was the leader of the resistance at that point. Him dying would have meant but that when they you couldn't... go, oh, that was his nephew. Yeah, it it goes from you know, tactically speaking, he should have at this point probably said, you know, someone else grabbed the kid, let's go. But he did it personally because it was his nephew, and it's not something that's necessarily canon right now. They've never actually come out and said, yes, in the main story universe, uh, Anduin Lothar was Varian Rin's uncle, but. It would make sense, and it's cool. It's an interesting idea, and it fleshes out his and Lane's relationship. Like that, you know that Lane is literally like a brother to him. He married his sister. Their he's family. a brother-in-law. They are, yeah. yeah. Their family, and it it explains why he goes through such lengths for the family. You know why he's so loyal to it. Why you know there's just a lot of cool things about it. Sometimes the changes are small, and they can easily be explained. And sometimes they're huge and they can't be, but it they can broaden and deepen a story when it works when it works out correctly. Yeah, I'm, I'm here for it. Okay, we've gone way over time here, so we're gonna go ahead and wrap this up. Apologies. What are we saying? Nobody's gonna complain that we went over time. Anyway, uh, Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at Patreon.com/slash/BlizzardWatch, and your continued support means that this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. Thank you very much, Anne. And again, guys, if you have questions for the show, they don't have to be about WoW. As you saw today, they can be about Overwatch, they can be about Diablo, they can be about anything. But if you've got them, please send them to podcast at blizzardwatch.com with the subject line podcast or blizzardwatch so we know it's for this show. Or hop on our Discord server and ask us some there because we'll be more than happy to look over and, and pick some out of there too. Thank you guys so much for being here. This has been the Blizzard Watch Podcast and we'll be here next week.